sexy but clean sometimes. That's what's up. We didn't say it was a family show, so there's that. Young Wait, are we? With that? With that? Well, <laughs> this or that? Are we? I don't know. We over. We all over the place. <laughs> Had to come out of retirement. These these knees don't. They was snap cracking and popping, you know, like a rice crispy. But we made it do what it do. But I did take a couple ibuprofen afterwards. Afterwards, all right. All right. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among African Americans ages 15 to 24. In a study of almost 300 adults in the African American community, researchers found that black men were very concerned with the stigma surrounding mental illness and were not open to discussing or acknowledging it. Only 26.4 of black men ages 18 to 44 who experience daily feelings of anxiety or depression are likely to have used mental health services. African Americans are 20% more likely to have serious psychological distress than whites are. African American men are four times more likely to commit suicide than African American women. Experts believe that social unrest, racial violence, and police brutality have played a role. Mud Talk presents Dear Black Men, an honest conversation about black men's mental health. What's good, everybody? It's your homie, Big T. It's your boy, Red. And you are listening to the only podcast that brings you latest in music, news, and fashion, and the only show that keeps our ears to the streets. So today is a very special episode of Mud Talk. Um, today is called Dear Black Men, where we're having an open and honest conversation about black men's mental health. Um, as you saw, some some very deep statistics there in the intro video that we're going to get into um, later on today. Um, but we do have some amazing guests with us today who have agreed to have some open and honest conversation about black men's mental health. Uh, so today we have Mr. Blair Johnson, as we like to call him, Mr. Toledo. Um, and then we also have Cecil here, who is a licensed therapist and counselor. Um, and then, of course, we also have Red, who, you know, is always with us behind the booth. But now today he's in front of the camera. And of course, we have Mud Talks for a white girl, Miss Amy, who's also here in the building as well, too. Yes, I'm here too. So yes, I'm always here. Yes, I'm always here. You know, I'm not going nowhere. So, all right. So um, with that, you know, we do have some amazing testimonies that we were able to reach out and talk to some people today um, who were open to sharing their, you know, their mental health journey. Um, but we felt like today was very, very, very important to have this conversation. Um, we know that the forefront recently has been black men's mental health. And so we knew, you know, hey, we need to have a an episode and a conversation about this just to bring more aware awareness to the issue. So, um, so you got, were able to talk to somebody pretty cool today, Miss Amy. Yeah. So I talked to um, well, he's been on the show. He's a, um, a 
guest of ours yes. often who comes and watches because he's my best friend. And I think he deserves it for me. He's checking in. He's great. Um, and he's oh, watching great. because his testimony, <laughs> we're going to watch that. Um, he has a very interesting uh, mental health journey that I've been able to, to be with him next to his side through the adult part of it. Mm -hmm. I, I, did, I did met him. We met in about, I didn't say this in the video. So uh, we met in 2019. And I can't hear you. Oh, me? Oh, he said bring the mic closer. Oh, mic closer. <laughs> hey, she do this all the time. I swear to God. So what do you mean, Greg? Can you hear me now? Let's check that. All right. We should be good. It's hard to tell we have my headphones on. Check, 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 um, because it's very different when you work in mental health and when it's a friend of yours. Um, so you're going to hear it's going to kind of go back and forth between um, his story and then my um, my as the uh, I don't want to say caretaker, but a friend of somebody struggling. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we go ahead and get into the videos, let's go ahead and have our guests introduce themselves and then we'll go ahead into Greg's testimonies. So we'll go ahead and start with you, Mr. Cecil. Oh, That's what's up. All right. Mr. Blair Johnson. Uh, my name is Blair. I'm a handyman. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's Mr. Slew. He over he's trying to be humble, but right. go ahead. You got a whole lot of accolades, sir. That's what's, That's what's up. That's what's up. Is that like a handyman license? It's 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 gonna tie into uh, one of my other nicknames, the property brother. You'll see when I have six months. Yep. Okay. All right. You do it all. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. Well, you want to go ahead and um. Oh, I'm sorry, Red. Okay, yes. I know. That's weird for me. I'm on the other side. <laughs> I'm on the other side. Um. They said Ty is the only person loud. Ooh, let me pull that mic back. So y'all got to speak up. Um, so um, my name is Ty Cleveland, also known as Big T um, here on Mud Talk. Um, I'm an educator. Um, I've been in the education game for 11 years. Um, I have also, I worked in many schools. I also used to work for Tackle. Uh, so I was able to work at Tackle at Rosa Parks and kind of see a lot of the mental health side. Um, so yeah, um, I see mental health every single day in, in the school system. Um, and I work with middle school kids, so I'm a middle school teacher. So yeah, I see a lot of those mental health issues. <laughs> um, I'm red. Um, I do audio engineering. I'm a music artist. Um, I'm, I'm just an all around humble guy also just as Blair. So, uh, I just try to stay to myself, stay peaceful, stay humble, and just live life. So, yes. and you're also a father. father. Don't forget father. that part. Two, two adorable, two children. adorable kids. So, cook. I'm a cook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you clean. You clean? <laughs> Not that I need anything cleaned. I'm just. Saying. 
What you need to clean? Uh, <laughs> let's start with my car. <laughs> I was about to say, your car clean? Yeah, you know definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, and Miss Amy, we can't forget you. You got to introduce yourself. My name is Amy, and I have been working in mental health for the last 11 years. Before that, I was a high school teacher. Um, and I taught life, which was really fun. And That's I wanted great. to, while I was teaching life, I realized there was a lot more to do. And as far as helping others, so I wanted to do more of the uh, ability to work individually with kids, not just as a class. Um, so I work with also 11 to 14 year olds uh, when, it, when it comes to their mental health. And, you know, sometimes it's mental health and sometimes it's momming. It just really depends on what they need. Um, I have three kids. My oldest is 21, 20, almost 21 um, in May. And he goes to the University of Cincinnati and he is majoring in criminal justice and minoring in law. Um, which is fine as long as he makes me rich someday. Um, <laughs> I have a thir uh, almost 13 year old daughter. She'll be 13 in May. And I have a nine year old son. All right. All right. That's what's up. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get into one of the testimonies. Uh, this is Greg's story. Greg is actually watching right now. Uh, so we appreciate Greg for being open to sharing his story. And we're going to go ahead. Yes, we appreciate you, Greg. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and get into his story right now. Thank I know I'm holding my, my mic like a DJ. I know. I gotta. <laughs> I know. I feel. I told you I'm used to being in DJ mode. That's the problem. All right. So we're gonna go ahead and get into Greg's story, and then we'll be right back here on Mud Talk. So let me introduce myself. My name is Gregory Lassane. Um I'm a nurse. I'm 38 years old. Uh, I'm an MDS coordinator, to be exact. I have two beautiful kids and I'm a black man in therapy. Hey everyone, I'm Miss Amy. You might recognize me as one of the hosts of Mud Talk, but today I'm not here in that role. Today I'm here to share with you my experiences of having somebody that I care about be a black man in therapy and my perspective on what it was like as he went through and has continuing to go through his mental health journey. I can say that growing up, I was taught like most young boys are taught, you know, if you fall over and hurt yourself, you pick yourself up, you don't cry, stop crying, boy, you know, or just not really showing emotions, period, or even just kind of being soft. And so over the years, for myself, for instance, you know, just speaking on myself, um, it became hard because that is how I was groomed to be. I was groomed to be a man that doesn't cry, that doesn't show emotion, that holds stuff in. Never saw my father cry growing up. I never, I never really saw my father show any type of emotions. Every once in a while, he would um, play with me. But for the most part, his door was always closed in the room. And so I felt secluded. I felt by myself. I felt alone. I felt closed off. And as I grew older, that's how I became. Just closed off. Not opening up. Because of the example that I had. My particular story starts way back when and it kind of carried you know me into adulthood 
living with my father and my stepmother and going back and forth to see my mother every weekend. Um, my mom would come pick me up every Friday and would return me every Sunday. And I thought that was normal. I thought that every kid, you know, did that. I, you know, I, I never really get that, sit down and, and talk about it. So that was my life as I knew it. But I will say that it did bother me because every time I left my mom, it just felt like uh, I was leaving a piece of me, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so it, it, it hurt, but I was tough. I mean, that's how I was raised to be, hard. You know, don't cry. Um, don't be a wuss. And a lot of that is, is coming from family. Um, and my closest family, people I'm closest with right now, my aunts and grandma. I remember being a kid. And, you know, that's kind of how it was in, in a black household. You know, you don't be a certain way. There would be times where, you know, my stepmom and I would get into it, but I would try to tell my father, and he would never listen to me or, or believe me. Um, there was mental, physical, verbal abuse on top of, you know, not being around my mom and my brother and my sister. Me being in a car when my stepmom ran over someone. I don't know if she killed the guy or not. That's just a list of some of the traumas that I've experienced. Um, and it goes on. But you carry a lot of that. Being a kid, just holding all of that stuff in. So as I held it in, as, as a kid... You know, it's affected me as I've gotten older. Um, to whereas I was shut down and trying to be a man or the definition of what a man is supposed to be, um, which was you know just being hard, being tough, working hard, you know, being the man, but. As a kid, you don't understand that, you know. As, as a kid, you you kind of go on on. As a kid, you, you go on what you're taught. So what you're taught is what you see. So when I was a kid, what I what I was taught is what I went by. What I saw is what I went by. So as a kid, I didn't speak about my troubles much I held a lot of a lot of it in a lot um, which is why therapy is helping now it's helped me to understand that you know hey I wasn't wrong you know I was right with how I felt and supposed to feel
The more we got to know each other, the one thing that I, I noticed about Greg was that he's actually a really, really good listener. And at the time in my life, that's something that I needed. I needed somebody who would listen to me, hear me out. I didn't have that a lot. Um, you know, being a helper and being in a helping profession is something that we related to. He was a nurse. I work in mental health. And, um, you know, you don't often have people listening to you and helping you when you're in that situation because you're so used to helping others. And he was great. Like he was, he's always, he's still great when it comes to listening. But the one thing that I noticed right away is that he was very, very slow to open up about his own stuff or his own emotions or certain circumstances or talk about certain parts of his life. It, it took a while for him to show that emotion to be able to talk about that. He's always been great at listening to me, but I didn't that is something that I will always remember is how hard it was for him to really open up about the things that he had going on in his life. One thing that we had at first that we definitely did not see eye to eye on was the importance of mental health. And um, I don't think it was because he was like anti-mental health, like he supported me, he respected me for what I did for a living. But I was raised that it's okay. I don't even want to say that I was raised that it's okay to talk about emotions, but talking about emotions and mental health is just like normalized, I think, more in my background than it ever was in his background. And so that's the one place, the one area that I feel like we definitely did not see the eye to eye when it came to um, when we first started hanging out and talking and um, becoming friends and even honestly through a good portion of the beginning of his mental health journey. I was with my ex-wife for, I want to say, 16 years. Um, we were young when we got married, 25. There were red flags there that I chose to ignore because at the time I didn't understand red flags. I didn't understand mental health issues. There was a lot that I didn't understand. Um, so my marriage was tough. It wasn't all bad times. There was good times too. And I received two beautiful children out of it, which is great. But there was a lot of internal issues between us. It got to the point where when I was working two jobs and I would work my second job, I never wanted to come home. I would sit in the parking lot after I got off work or I would sit in the grocery store parking lot up the street from the house preparing myself to go home because I've had anxiety of what I was walking into because I never knew what I would, would be walking into. So it was it was tough. It was hard. But things happen. And I feel like everything happens for a reason. And whether you believe in God or you're spiritual, you know, whatever it may be, you are strong enough to fight it. Period. I've been divorced, uh, well, separated and divorced going on three years now. It was the hardest decision that I've ever had to make in my life. It was, it came between my mental health, my kids, my marriage, everything I know. And it basically came down to what is healthy for me. And being in the marriage relationship that I was in, it was not healthy, not just for me, but you know, for my kids as well. It just wasn't a healthy environment. And it took me many years. I was with my ex-wife for 16 years. So 16 years of going through a lot. Um, and it wasn't all just her. You know, I, you know, 
am partly to blame for certain things as well. Um, but I can definitely say that when I decided to leave and we sat down and we told our kids that, you know what, mommy and daddy are separating. When I seen my little girl cry, that was so heartbreaking. It broke my heart and I didn't know what to do. I wanted to hold her and console her and tell her that it's going to be okay. But at that moment, I didn't even know it was going to be okay. I didn't know what to expect. I went through a lot of emotions from that time up until now. I've yelled, I've cried, I've stayed up, I've done reckless behavior at times um, that I'm not proud of, but it was all a process. I remember the day that he decided that him and his um, wife were going to separate. He had called me and I really don't think he called me because it was like intentional, like I need to call Amy, she's going to help me through this or whatever. I genuinely think he called me out of, I don't know who else to call or what else to do. And I remember when I picked up the phone, like he was crying and that was different. And he told me about what happened and how they were going to separate. And I was like, man, like, I'm really sorry. And I, you know, I kind of listened to him and I heard him out. But the one thing that I will never forget about this, and I do think this goes back to his upbringing about not talking about emotions and mental health, he apologized and he was apologizing and apologizing for having emotions and showing emotions and being upset. And he apologized multiple times for crying on the phone. That was definitely a tough time in my life. I was definitely depressed. I didn't know what was next. I, I couldn't see what my future would look like because I was lost. Everything that I known, everything that I worked for was gone. So having to rebuild again. So having to rebuild is tough. And it's even tougher when you have certain demons, when you have certain internal um, issues going on. So at the same time, you're trying to be a better person because you want to be a better person, but you don't know how to. You don't know where to start. And everything just kind of seems like like there's nothing there, there's no one to help. Even though there's plenty, there were plenty of people there to help, but at the time, just being depressed and going through so much of what I went through, it was <clears throat> a hard time. I have no problem sharing my story of me drinking. I turned to alcohol. And when I say turn to alcohol, I would drink a good 12 to 18 beers a day, give or take, maybe a little bit more, maybe, maybe a little bit less. And if I didn't have beer, which I was getting beer since I, you know, got off in the morning, um, drinking in the morning, drinking in the afternoon, drinking at night, it was, it was tough, drinking and driving. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not ashamed of it because this is my story to tell. I remember in the days from when he decided he was going to separate, there was something that happened and that's kind of what pushed him to separate. Um, we were pretty much on the phone nonstop. Um, because the one thing that I said as a friend is like, and I always told him, like, I'm not leaving. I'm always going to be here. And anybody that knows me knows that that's in my personality. Like, if you're my person, I'm there for you. And I talked on the phone, we FaceTimed, but 
the one thing that I don't think I was prepared for was to watch somebody who I cared about over the days and the weeks after that start to slip farther and farther down into like a really deep depression and to kind of start to spiral and I didn't really know what to do or what to say or really just how to help like I just was like I'm just going to be there I'm just going to be there to listen and hear him out but it was hard I also remember being really worried about him because he in coping with this was still trying really hard not to show his emotions and the coping was turning into him turning to things like alcohol I mean I remember calling him and I'm like dude what time is it like you're drinking already or I remember him showing me a picture of like you know the amount of beer that he had drank and I was like man like that's that's not healthy but on the same token like what do I say and it was hard because I work in mental health like I should know what to say and how to help but it's different when it's your friend and somebody you care about I was really worried about him too because I could see that that depression was trying to slip him into a place where like I don't know if he wanted to live anymore when you have someone trying to turn your family or friends against you, trying to make it seem like you're a bad man, a bad father, a bad person, and just telling everybody, family, friends, work, social media, you know, and that hurt. And oftentimes he would be like, I mean, I'm not going to do it today, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm not going to do it. That's really hard to hear. Now remember, we live 10 hours away from each other. I can't be there. Like I help people in present. I help people in person. And so figuring out how I can support him 10 hours away was hard. And then to hear that, you know, and I, I get it. Like we all go through hard times and, you know, the separation turned into divorce and the divorce turned into a custody battle. And, you know, the whole time it was like watching a friend of mine, like just face these demons and not be able to help them. And I was worried. Like, I was genuinely worried because I don't, I didn't think, I didn't necessarily believe that he wasn't going to try to kill himself. I think honestly, I was worried if he wasn't going to do it intentionally, it was going to be because of the alcohol or because he got in a car accident because he'd been drinking and driving. It was really scary. It was hard. It was hard. I got to the point where I wanted to commit suicide and I was ready to do it. I had a plan. I was going to, um, I had found a bridge and I was going to either drive off or just jump off the bridge. People were calling me, family, friends were calling me, texting me. I was not picking up because in my head, I decided that this will stop the pain. This will stop the hurt. I will be free. And I was going to go through it. And then about 10, 1030 at night, my daughter texted me and said, I love you, daddy, with a heart. And that just kind of snapped me out of it. That made me realize I need to be here for my kids. I remember the day that he decided that he was going to take his own life. Um, I'm sorry, hold on. I remember I hadn't talked to him all day and um, that's not like him because remember we've been on the phone and we were calling and FaceTiming all the time and I was really worried about him like he was in a depression like no other and he was drinking and you know he couldn't tell me if he was going to be safe and I remember this is a time when like um, his ex-wife wasn't 
letting him like see the kids. And um, he was just not in a good place. And I remember I hadn't talked to him all day, all day. And I was trying to get a hold of him, trying to get a hold of him. And I just like couldn't get a hold of him. And I didn't know what to do. I remember he had turned off his location on his phone and that was something that I was like really worried about. So I'm trying to figure out where he is. I'm blowing his messages up. I'm texting him and finally like around 10.30, 10.45 at night, I get this really bizarre phone call and I like picked up immediately and he was just bawling his eyes out and he was drinking and I was like, dude, I'm worried about you. Like, where are you? And um, Mandra, remember we're 10 hours away and uh, he was like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to live this life anymore. And uh, I remember thinking like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Because he's 10 hours away from me. I can't just go get him. And at this time, like I didn't, I knew one of his friend's names, one. And luckily it was like a, a kind of a unique name. And I was like, I, somebody has to go get him. Like he couldn't even tell me where he was, or I don't know, maybe he chose not to. And then he, um, he hung up the phone. Like he was just like, I gotta go. And um, now hindsight, I know that was because his daughter texted him. But in the meantime, I'm like blowing up his phone again, like call me. And I searched his friend with a unique name on Instagram. And I never talked to this person in my life. I just happened to know his name. I maybe talked to him here and there, like over phone. And I messaged him and I said, hey, do you know where Greg is? And he was like, I've been trying to get a hold of him all day. And so was his mom. Do you know where he is? I said, yeah, he just called me. And I said, I need you. I need someone to help. Like, I don't know how to get him. And at the same time that I'm messaging him, he calls me back. And I was like, you know, finally got him. I said, where are you? And he told me because he said, that's when he told me my daughter called me. And he's bawling his eyes out. And he's like, I can't do this. And I remember texting his friend. And his friend texted his mom. And there were both two of his boys growing up, jump in the car and like rushed over to the parking lot. While I'm like trying to talk to him and explain to him that he's worth it. Like he's worth living for. That was hard. I almost lost my best friend that night. But I think everything happens for a reason, and this baby girl saved his life, and uh, he called me, and he let me, he let me help him. I know that was a turning point. I know it was a turning point. It wasn't when he decided to start going to therapy, but it was when he decided that he needed to live, and he needed to live for his kids. And although he had a really long journey after that before he actually started addressing this in therapy I do believe that that was a turning point that was the point when he said I have to live and I need to get a hold of this and um that was the hardest that was one of the hardest days of my life as a friend and as somebody who loves somebody who's going through something I'm glad he's here I'm glad he chose to stay I will say my friend Amy has been there from the very beginning. She would always encourage me to go to therapy. And I didn't want to go. I was very reluctant to go because I'm like, what, you know, what are they going to tell me that I don't already know? Like, about myself and about what's going on. But, and I, and I kept that mindset for a while. And the whole time I was doing that, I was spiraling um, 
downhill. Separation, pending divorce, ex-wife doing everything she can to tarnish my name and reputation, keeping the kids from me. So I was going through a lot. Um, drinking heavily, very heavily. Um, 12 to 18 beers a day <clears throat> or liquor, just whatever I can get my hands on. Um, so yeah, it was a lot. And I, I was very, I was still like, fuck it, I, I'm not going. But day by day, you know, Amy never judged me. She just encouraged me. She listened. And I thought about it. I'm so proud of him. I am. He's come a long way. You know, even after that time, you know, I'm yelling at him, you need to go to therapy, you need to go to therapy, you need to go to therapy. And he just wasn't ready yet. And, um, but I knew if I just was continuing to explain to him how much more he could be getting out of life and how much more he could be growing, that eventually he would make that decision that he would go. Say it was a tough road, it was tough. But I know if I can get through it, anybody can. I will say I was hesitant to start therapy at first because I'm like, uh, you know, for what? What's it going to help? What are they going to tell me? You know, then also in the back of my head, I was thinking like, well, does that make me crazy if I'm going to therapy? Because the stigma was, if you have mental health problems, then you're crazy. When that's not it at all. Sometimes you just need an outlet. It took a lot of convincing from um, a few friends, but eventually... I chose to seek help, and it was one of the best things I've ever done, to be honest. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, to let my guard down and to expose my inner self, but I'm building myself up. And this will help me be a better man, a better person, a better, better father, a better spouse to um, in my next relationship. <clears throat> but it's it's tough. There's times where you might want to stop going because you don't want to hear the truth. But it is good. And to change your, you know, your whole thought process. Um, because sometimes people act the way that they do because they didn't have the tools that we have, vice versa. The day that he told me that he got himself a counselor, I was so happy. But I remember looking at him and telling him, like, it's going to be hard work. And therapy always is harder before it gets easier. And um, something that makes me so happy now is that, like, you know, he'll text me and be like, hey, I had a therapy session today, and I don't even know what they talk about. All I know is that, like, 
he's always telling me I had a therapy session and, and it feels good. It feels good in like a way that like I can get things out and I can be, I'm just, I feels good to be growing and changing. And um, I've seen the growth and I've seen the change in him just as not only just as a human, but as a friend, um, as a parent, as a caregiver, it's just amazing the amount of growth that he's had because he's choosing to put in the work. I can tell you that it is not easy. It's not for the weak. It is hard. There's a lot of emotions and feelings that you have to experience that you've never experienced before. Um, I can say that me being a black man, I started therapy. I go once a week and it has helped. It definitely has helped me see things from different perspectives, different points of, of views, not just for myself, but from how, let's say, my ex-wife or my father or my mother looked at things. Because I see things from my perspective, my point of view, but when you get in therapy, it kind of opens you up. It makes you vulnerable. And it's, 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 it's a lot. Uh, it's, it's a tough process for anybody. It, it, it's especially a hard process because from when we're young, especially being black men, we're told to be tough, toughen up, don't cry, don't show emotions. If you fall and scrape your knee, you brush it off and you keep on moving, you know. And if you do cry, if you do show emotions, then you're soft, you're a bitch, or whatever names have you. When in retrospect, it's far from it. But being a black man in therapy, I can say definitely helps. I, myself, encourage it. I, you know, I have no problem telling people about my story, about my journey, and about me going to therapy. At first, I was kind of embarrassed about it. Because that's how it's made to seem like in the black community, um, black and brown community, you know, it's always like you pray it away, your demons or, or whatever you have going on. Or, you know, just a bunch of other things. But sometimes you need professional help, whether it's medication, whether it's therapy. Sometimes you just need that help. You, you need to, to get it out. Mental health is not talked about in the black and brown community like it should be. I do applaud Charlemagne the God and others that are bringing it to the forefront, especially for black men. And telling black men it's okay to cry, it's okay to be upset, it's okay to show emotions. And that's what I do with my kids, especially my, my son, he's nine. And I always tell him, you know, I always try to talk to him. Whenever I, I get my kids, I always ask them, are you happy? Are you sad? You know, anything you need to talk about? You know, anything new going on or just whatever. Um, sometimes they talk to me, sometimes they don't. But at times they, they open up and they talk and they cry about how upset they are due to cer certain circumstances. But that is a healthy environment for them to be able to express their feelings and emotions without feeling any kind of backlash. And that is something that I wish that I had as a kid. So once again, it's just all about breaking generational curses. You know, the change has to start with you. 
I think the best advice that I can give somebody, and you know, this is coming from somebody who didn't grow up in the black community, so I don't have any advice to give on that as far as like what that looks like. But one of the best advices that I can give somebody that is that cares about somebody who has struggles with mental health or trauma is that you just have to be present. You don't have to have the answers. Just be present and don't be judgmental. And like genuinely don't be judgmental. Don't tell people's business. Just listen. See, sometimes we can't we can't solve everything that's happened, but we can be somebody who sits with somebody as they deal with the things that they're dealing with. And that's what I've done a lot with him, honestly, other than encouraging him to go to counseling and, you know, giving him some advice here and there. But quite honestly, you know, my my role in, in, in caring about somebody with mental health struggles is just simply to help sit with him as he goes through the healing process. He's come a long way, and I'm so proud of him. Everybody's journey is going to be different, and I will say that. For some people, it's mental health therapy. For some people, it's just writing things down. Sometimes it feels good to write your emotions out. Start a journal. At the end of the day, before bed, just write in a journal how you feel. Um, it, you know, there's many different outlets. You just have to find your niche. Um, but yeah, it's it's possible. I'm living proof that mental health has helped me as a black man, as a man, as a father, and as a future spouse. And it will continue. And it's not going to happen overnight. Sometimes you need ongoing therapy for years. Because you have so much trauma that you don't even know about. Or you might know about it, but you think it's normal. But when you go to therapy, or when you start doing your research or just whatever, you'll find out a lot of things that has happened to you, that was said to you or done to you in the past when you were younger, a kid, teenager, that it wasn't right. But because that's what you were used to seeing, you just felt that it was right. But a lot of it isn't. And we, as black men, have to want to change and break these generational curses. And it's tough. But I encourage all my black and brown men to go seek mental health therapy. Or if you're not ready to go that far, you could always, like I said, write things down. Or maybe just have that one person to talk to, which is good, but they're not a professional. So they can give you their opinion on things, but not like a professional can. So I encourage all black men, black and brown men, all men in general, to go seek mental health therapy. You will not regret it. Trust me. Peace and love to everybody. That was deep. Ooh. So I guess my, my first.
your your upbringing coming through that? Well, for me, um, depression is one of my biggest things that I deal with. Um, I don't know how to react to it sometimes. And from everything that he was saying, like, yes, you should go out and reach a specialist, reach somebody, talk to somebody, um, friends, family, anything like that, that can help you out with with your with your problems you know um it's a cycle that we all go through and the fact that we know that we can go out and reach somebody but we don't want to is the problem so i feel like you know what i'm saying uh that we need to change that as black men you know so Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that stuck out to me with Greg's story, <laughs> thank you, um, is he said, I want to be a good person, but I don't know how to and I don't know where to start. And I think for a lot of black men in the community, you know, we want to be good people. Not saying that we're not, but there are some who want to be good people, but they don't know where to start um, because we weren't given and some families weren't given that foundation or those social skills growing up or those coping skills. And so because we didn't have that growing up, you know, we struggle until we become 30, 40, 50 years old. And, you know, um, with that, sometimes we cause trauma in other people's lives when we don't have the proper social skills and coping skills and whatnot. Um, and so I feel like <clears throat> because of people like Amy and because of CISO, you know, even educators like myself, you know, Thank God that kids have people like us in their lives to give them those skills so they don't exactly. have to grow up without them and causing trauma and destruction in other people's lives. So, but I really appreciate Greg for sharing the story. That was yeah. almost, yeah. almost, I almost uh, cried real quick. They were all crying. I'm just, I actually don't know because I couldn't stop crying myself. Um, and I've watched it like 20 times. It's just because I think it's so real. But I will say you are all good people. Like I tell kids in my office, you're a good person. It's just, it's just like you said, not having the tools or, or maybe you're just not making great choices or maybe it's just stuff that you don't even know isn't a good choice. But just so you all know, on this panel and out there, you are good people. It's not about, it's not about who you are. It's about the things that we learn, the things that we know. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we had some people uh, who sent in some questions earlier. Oh, um, did, did they want to oh I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the biggest things that I'll say that, that taps into, uh, you know, in his story and in most stories is, is and, and, and it's not even just with black men, not to exclude the conversation, but people in general, is we yeah. all have communication. Right. We don't know how to properly communicate. Right. Communication in general is the key to every issue, every problem, everything you need a solution for. Mm -hmm. Because it's the simple thing is if you don't know something, you need to know how to communicate to either ask or find directions to the information that you need. And it goes back to tapping into our therapy. Mm -hmm. It goes back to with not knowing how to communicate properly. I don't know how to say, um, like I know Cecil, I know he's a therapist, but if I had communication, I don't know how to say, bro, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know how to all the time to, to spit out the words and say, this is my issue. This is what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And whether the roadblock may be uh, discomfort, embarrassment, Pride, not you know, that's a communication here because right. there's something stopping you from communicating. So that's one of the biggest things 
that I see regularly is we just can't communicate as, as humans in general, yeah. let alone I, I see with myself, I've had issues with other black men. I, I definitely see our barrier is 10 feet higher a lot of times to get to the communication, you know, to, to get because to you're told that your voice sometimes doesn't matter. Yeah. Oftentimes, and, and, you're told. and sometimes it's just like, all right, but it still needs to be resolved. The issue yeah. still need to be resolved. So, um, that's that's one of the biggest yeah. takeaways is just communicating. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think coming from a therapist perspective, right? Listening to Greg's story, that's the unfortunate. They sit in front of me at that time, right? I get to sit them in that crisis. Mm-hmm. But technically, therapy isn't about crisis, right. right? It should be before you even get to that aspect mm-hmm. of your life yes. where you're like, I'm down and out. I have all this stuff I need to unpack with you, mm-hmm. right? And so the unfortunate thing is we have talked about therapy in a crisis mentality, yes. mm-hmm. right? Instead of it being a preventative, right? Like you go to your dentist, you go to your doctor, it's preventative, mm-hmm. right? Therapy is preventative care. So if you talk about it before it happens and then when it happens, you're already ready for it to happen. You're not reactive, you're preventative. And I love that because that's with the mental health I do is a lot of it is preventive. Mm-hmm. And I get to give you the coping skills and the tools that you need before that happens. So that when it is happening, I can say, hey, what are your coping skills? Exactly. What are you going to? And don't get me wrong, Greg can correct me on this. We talked a lot about that before that suicidal <laughs> crisis happened. I just don't think he was ready to hear it because there was just a lot. And, you know, I think it was tough because he did have a, um, he didn't talk about this in the video, but couple months before that whole situation happened, he had a very bad car accident. He almost died in a car accident. He was in the hospital for months. Sorry, Greg, I put your business out there. But for me, it was like he was dealing with that mm-hmm. and then the marriage and then all this other stuff yeah. that coping skills at that point didn't matter because, and I, I, I tell kids that too, if they're not here, when you're in that crisis, you can't think of them. If you don't have them, that backpack's like gone. Yeah, You got to have it in your mind. You got to practice it. It's almost like, like you said, it's like brushing your mm-hmm. teeth or flossing or, mm-hmm. you know, practicing your coping skills when it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other big elephant in the room with therapy is no one gets to look like, there's not a lot of black male therapists. Yes. yes. Right? Uh, exactly. Black male therapists yes. to be able to sit down and say like, hey, let me holler at you real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't get to talk to people who look like you most yeah. of the time when they're mm-hmm. therapy. Um, mm-hmm. Or find a therapist. So I think for men, especially black men, when you have someone that looks like you, that you can be like, hey, bro, why don't like, you yeah, like, like, yeah, 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 I feel like, you, like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, that changes the dynamic as well with yeah. communication skills. So right. I think when we're in that mindset of like therapy, <laughs> A thing is just because we don't have a lot of people that look like us in this room. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I, I, that's one of the things that I wish as somebody who does work with a lot of young black men. I'm, I when I refer them out and I'm trying to get them, there's not a lot of options. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm in my head, I'm like, how can I find more black men to become therapists? That is my goal. Before I retire, I will I will recruit every black male that should be a good therapist in my life. <laughs> because it, it's needed and, and black female too because they, they need to see people yes. i can say everything all day long but the fact is is that i'm not a black male and i'm not a black female exactly. i might know things but i don't i i what i know almost automatically just, doesn't get it's kind of because i didn't grow up like you and that doesn't mean you can't be a good therapist it's not even no. just that. Yeah. a lot of times it's just i need someone that looks, looks like me mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah you're gonna right. get a different response right. from a person like you said like that looks like you mm-hmm. like i feel like the the atmosphere of me talking to my brothers mm-hmm. would be a different response yeah. to me talking to somebody who I completely don't know mm-hmm. at all. Absolutely. And it you does, know? and honestly, it takes, if I do have somebody in there, it takes about five or six times before I'm like, you know, you can just act like you, right? right. Just be you. Yeah. And, and even though, because it is hard, because mm-hmm. you're not going to walk into my office and 
feel. It's that's a good feel. Because it's, it's different. Feel. You know, so I definitely think there needs to. So if you're out there, you're listening. It's a communication barrier. You got to break that. Yes. Shout out to Greg, man. Thank you, Greg. Also, you know what I thought was really dope is that you know amy checked on him you know even i mean she reached out to the last person that she could think of and so with that what we need to get into the habit of as black men is just being able to check on each other and say yo you good bro you know and not because we are in this generation i feel like right now in these times where it's almost like black men can't do nothing we can't do hookah we can't (laughs) we can't eat ice cream like we we can't do nothing so if we just simply say, yo, Red, you good, he might look at you like, like, are you checking on Red? Like, it's just such, it's so looked down upon when really, I need to just check on Red or on Blair or on CISO or whoever the case may be. And so we just need to get into the habit of really just calling somebody or whoever it is or texting and saying, yo, you good? And are you meaning, okay? And, and, and really meaning it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, I will say, I didn't know, just through that story, I didn't know that his friend had been looking for him. Mm-hmm. In my head, we FaceTimed and talked all day long, all day, every day. And the fact that he didn't talk to me from morning until it was like 10 o'clock at night, I'm like, um, and I knew where he was going in this. So when I messaged his friend, he was like, we've been looking for him too. You know, he was checking on him too. And the fact that I said, here he is, this is where you need to go drive to get him. And that didn't take them 30 seconds to, to jump in that car. What you Greg said, we can't eat no banana hot dog. <laughs> like, damn, I'm going to eat by myself. <laughs> But I definitely think it's important because, you know, and I love the fact that he does have, he does have some really great friends. Um, and, and I'm glad he reached out to me and they were able to go get him because honestly, but I, I don't know what would happen if I wasn't able to get a hold of him. Right. And that's another advice too. That sometimes because, Everybody doesn't have those relationships, mm-hmm. whether it be friends or families, because you got some people who are out here an island on their own, mm-hmm. and, and nobody's able to see that. Wait, your your actions today are abnormal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because nobody's able to pay attention. That's yeah. Yeah. some of us like it's a blessing that we have people mm-hmm. where you can have multiple people. So you know, and that's mm-hmm. a whole other side of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes I mean, how many people are literally stuck in the dark by themselves and nobody can tell, oh, here, use my flashlight. Nobody right. can even right. check them. Right. You know, yeah. so right. it's like... Like, find your people and be those people. Mm-hmm. And that's one, you know, I always laugh because he can literally tell, if I'm in a bad mood, through my text message, he can be like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with him. And and, and, and if I'm blessed to have met him, we're blessed to be in each other's lives. It's not been that long. Mm-hmm. But, like, find your people and be that be that person for them. Right, right. Because when you have those people, you can tell through a text message if yeah. they're not okay. Yeah. Or however they're communicating. Yeah. Like, I was at work the other day, and uh, I had a toothache. And my whole staff asked me, like, what's wrong? Like, you good, bro? Like, they, you know what I'm saying? They seen it in my face. Mm-hmm. Like, so just having that reaction from people gives you that good energy that mm-hmm. somebody cares. Mm-hmm asking you what's wrong you all right you know what i'm saying like you can tell it so i mean i appreciate that absolutely all right well so we had some people who sent in some questions um and so amy is going to read off some of those questions and we're going to answer them and this is where i need you to you're no yes. you're not a host i'm anymore. not a host anymore i i am a black man <laughs> let me be thai and not big t yes i need to be thai i got you okay i got you so here's number one i kind of um i mix the order a little bit up on what they sent just because i want to do some like general like this is just general questions for you guys and then we're going to watch um big t's testimony and then i'm going to ask you some questions more specifically related to like mental health therapy things like that 
So the first question I have, um, why do you think in the black community it's looked down upon for a black man to share emotions? And as a society, how do we change this? Vulnerability, right? We don't like vulnerability. We just don't like to be told or exposed to the fact that it can be used against us, right? And uh, I think that started as childhood, right? In a society where we were told if you fall off your bike, get up, put some dirt on it, keep it pushing, right? right? Or you play football and you get hit too hard, get up, wipe them tears, don't be soft, right? Because you're around a bunch of your boys. Um, and I think for a lot of us, we just kind of kept going as adults, right? And didn't realize that that was traumatic, mm -hmm. right? That's just simply traumatic that we are telling boys they can't cry and no one ever said that, that was a gender-based thing, right. right? There's no such thing as a feeling being female or male. Right. It's just a feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. Or or tears being a simply just I cried because it hurt. My feelings yeah. were hurt. I was disrespect, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. I should be able to cry. Um, but well, like I said, we talked crying is our natural mm -hmm. body's natural way of like mm -hmm. cleansing. Yeah, exactly. And so when you yeah. don't do that, you're not cleansing. Yeah. Right. It goes back to the fact that I know for me personally, I grew up a father. Right. So I never had a male show me that feelings were OK. Right. Or if I did, mm -hmm. it was my friends or their fathers or their uncles or my uncles or whatever, grandfather. But no one talked about feelings. I never remember having a conversation about simply like, are you happy today? Yeah. Right. Just mm -hmm. that simple question or yeah. um, how are you feeling today? So I think society just doesn't talk to men about feelings, but we talk to women about feelings. All the time. All the time. Like I can, I, I, I can cry out anywhere I want to cry. <laughs> nobody's gonna, they're like, oh, that's fine. You're yeah. allowed. You cry, and then all of a sudden, like you said, it's your nuts. And vulnerability for, I think, guys, there's layers to that. Oh, yeah. So it's tough for, I, so I, I don't like to be vulnerable. Do you know how hard it was for me to cry on videos? I know. I work with mental health. I'm, but I hate crying. I, I've never cried. I don't cry in front of anybody. That was tough. That's hard for me. But you know what? Then be a man. Be told you're not allowed to cry. Uh -huh. Now be a black man and be worried that your tears are going to be used against you. Oh, yeah. right. And that is, there's so many layers to that vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. And I was sorry about that. <laughs> um, I was, I was always worried about who I can cry around. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, I don't know if I can share my emotions with you because mm -hmm. Physically, maybe we we yeah we got a relationship, but I don't know how strong that relationship is to where you're seeing my emotions. Mm -hmm. So, it's certain people that I can cry around, and it's certain people I can't. Like y'all, y'all family. Like mm -hmm. I I was crying earlier when I yeah. heard uh, his testimony. So, like that, it's 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 healing to me to hear things like that and to be able to let out those emotions mm -hmm. around good people you know so when i ask men specifically when's the last time you cried and I, you maybe you do this too and you, are you like i mean you're probably less shocked than i am because you're a man <laughs> but like sometimes i'm like wait what no. years decades so i think it's funny you say that because yesterday i was with my son he took me oh. to take ice cream and he's like daddy you don't ever cry in front of me and i was just like <laughs> slow down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, though. Like that just yeah, through your my, whole man. Whole mental. Mm -hmm. Like, did I ever cry? And I, I lost my mom about two years ago, mm -hmm. and I remember crying. But I was like, he wasn't there for me to cry. Right. Yeah. And so I had to remind myself, like, I gotta show him that it's okay to cry. Right. 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 And that that's a normal emotion as a man, as a father, yes. to cry in front of your kids. Mm -hmm. so he can see that that's normal. That's right. Normal. Right. So I cried two weeks ago. I don't know why either. But, you know what? I like that. But that's good though. Down the stairs, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, you know, like, like that. Like I was hitting myself across the door, and I still, 
I mean, it wasn't even no emotions tied to it, you know, on the forefront of my mm-hmm. mind. You know, so I know it's probably something in there. But like that as I was just like it was just yeah. It, it needed, just came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you mean, like, like, like yeah. I just was like I was but I was just looking like wow. you know, like what's going on? So like it, it, it had been a while, you know, because mm-hmm. like most of the time for me. It had been related to death for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I, we've lost because that's you know, acceptable, right? If you're yeah. a man to cry, yeah. there's a death. You know, that's it. I, I, you know, I've lost a lot of people in my family, but then at the same time with my family, I don't normally cry in front of my family because it's always been when it comes to death in my family, I've always been the crutch for my family. So mm-hmm. when we're at the funerals and all this stuff, I'm you got to be know, the one to hold it together. down, right? Yeah. It don't matter the young ones, the old ones, being you know everybody, you know, and they always have looked to me and I've is. You know, never really said it, but I've always hated that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's like, why, you know, why y'all looking at me like, right, I, like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I need a crush too. I need to you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I need a but break. It's, but it's just, it's just always before kind of I like, break. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, it's like sometimes, unfortunately, it's necessary for us to still be strong yeah. to keep the rest of the family. Right. And that's still hard on us. Mm-hmm. But it's still one of those things because. Sometimes somebody got to be that strong person so everybody can get through this moment and then, you know, it catches up with you and it wears you down, you know, physically, mentally, all that. And it's just like, it's a catch-22 because I don't hate that I was strong for my family, but at the same time, it's still hard on you because it's just like, what am I supposed to do with that? Because I'm right. supposed mm-hmm. to talk to because I'm not really ready to talk to them because it was like, they look at you and they're like, I thought you was fine. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. it's just like, and then it opens up a whole new can of worms because nine times out of ten, when you actually tell them how you was feeling, because I have at times, and then now they feelings open back up. Now everybody just crying, and now just mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. So it's just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I celebrate crying. If you ever need to cry it out, I'm talking. I will celebrate you. I will, like. I'm so glad you're crying. Yeah, two weeks ago, crying. I'm in my No, we're learning from this. I need you to cry it out more than every couple of years. Okay? Yes. So. I know the second part of the question was how do you change the yeah. stigma, right? Yeah. So I think with that, the way that we do that, I mean, we're doing it right now, mm-hmm. is by having these open and honest conversations. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I'm so proud of with our generation and the generation that's below us is that we are finally having these conversations and kind of throwing away some of the old thinking that came from our parents and grandparents and all that yeah. stuff. Um, and I think one of the big ways, honestly, to break it, I'm such not a fan of generals. I feel like people just let people be. Yeah. Um, we are so stuck on this whole, well, boys do this, 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 and this, and this, but can't do this. I mean, we can't even eat a hot dog or lick the damn ice cream cone or banana or whatever. Yes. A hot dog or whatever the case may be. You can, it's just, it's so much stupid stuff. Why? Oh, wait, never mind. I'm doing all that out here. I ain't going to have Listen. So when it. I hate the word glizzy. The word glizzy, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, just really stripping away some of the things, you know, as far as generals and really just let, if a man needs to cry, let a man cry. You know what I'm saying? If he wants to eat a damn hot dog, let him eat a hot dog. But by having these conversations like this, I really feel like that, you know, a change is coming. Um, And, you know, the crazy thing though is that not only are we trying to teach the younger generation how to express their emotion but we're trying to heal at the same time too mm-hmm. so it's like i'm trying to heal at the same time while also at the same time teach you to be better than you know than what i what i was so what you know what i'm saying so you know i grew up with um both my grandparents i grew up uh with my grand my grandmother and my grandfather um 
And so my grandfather was actually in the military. He was a retired veteran. He was in the Air Force. So growing up for a while, a lot of things were very dominant. It was very much how you can picture growing up with the military grandfather, um, you know, not crying and being hard and being tough. And, you know, why are you out there with the girls playing? Go play football with the boys. I'm like, I don't feel like breaking the bone today. So I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um and so a lot of that old thinking it was really ingrained in us. And it wasn't until I got older and I was like, fuck this shit. Like, I need to I need to cry today. Like, I'm, I'm going to cry. But it took going to therapy to be told that if you need to cry, it's, it's OK to cry. I remember being in my first therapy session with Jasmine Pope. She's my therapist. Love you to death, Jas. Um, I was sitting on her couch and she was just like. I'm going to need you to cry because I can tell you, like, I was literally trying to, like, hold it in. Like, I'm a thug. I ain't about to cry in front of you. I mean, I was literally like in the first session, like, oh, I need to cry so bad, but I ain't about to do this shit in front of her. And it's it took a couple sessions it took about um maybe three or four sessions um well within that a um yes well with jazz so this is the thing with jazz i already knew her prior before going to therapy the first thing i did before i went to her i asked her i'm like we are friends so is it okay for me to even come to you because i didn't want to have a conflict of interest or whatever so when going to therapy and going to see her I was comfortable, but I wasn't because I'm like, I've, I've shared things with you as a friend, yeah. but now this is a whole completely different mm-hmm. level. Like now we're getting to the, the, the root. Well, yeah. 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 It did. She was a friend of mine. And so the first thing I asked her, I was like, look here. I said, <laughs> I said, we friends, but this was, I told her, I said, now don't be at home pillow talking with your husband about my <laughs> shit. <laughs> now <laughs> don't be telling him, don't be telling my business. And she yeah. yeah so she was just like, um, first of all, HIPAA, like, so I don't want to get in trouble and lose my practice. And so, but she was like, no, like, I'm very proud that you even came here in the first place. Um, what took for me to open up was, um, a friend of mine actually committed suicide while I was working at Tackle. Um, he committed suicide and, um, that was crazy because I have never, I've had people, died that was close to me from you know gun violence and all that type of stuff and this was different i never had somebody commit suicide that i knew personally that was close to me somebody that was a friend for over 10 years and so that right there that like triggered the emotions um instantly and so um i went into therapy um i actually had a therapy session i want to say maybe like two weeks later and i just cried like i just was like fuck it like I, I need to cry like this right here this is this is serious and it, and it yeah but it but it but it really hurt because i have never um i'm just i had never heard of black men considered uh doing suicide so to have that happen to me or experience that i was just like wow like yeah jazz you about to get all this shit today because this 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 is a lot so I'm glad that we are had, like I said, having these conversations because I do believe conversations like this is, is going to change, um, change the you know the stigma that's around you know that type of stuff. And I, I just say I think what you said too about the fact that you hadn't cried in front of your son, you, and, you, and you had said that like we're we're trying to raise the next generation and heal. Mm-hmm. And I guess my challenge to all black men, with I'm allowed to challenge because I feel like I can because I'm sitting here with my 
like let them show you heal. Yes. Like you need to show your kids I'm healing and let them see you do it. Mm-hmm. Because if they watch you walk through the process, it's going to show Very them well. that it's okay for them to show emotions, not be okay, and to heal as well. Yes. And that's hard. I know it's hard because you're, yeah. you know, especially if it's your kid or you're the uncle or you're, that's my kid. I'm, like, I'm supposed to be the tough one. I'm supposed to have it all together. But if they see you do that, like you said, mm-hmm. so I need you to cry in front of your kid. And it kind of goes back to what Blair was going on. Yeah. I got to be the strong one. Right? Yeah. I got to be the, I gotta be the support. Yeah. When, I, when I'm not the supporter, it's, it's shaky. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel right, right? So yes. I think that's that's a lot of men's issues. Like, yeah. if I cry in front of my kid, do I am I is the foundation no longer strong anymore? Yeah, right. Is it is it right. off kilter? Is it now a little shaky? Is it now I gotta like mm, my kids don't look at me differently? Right, right, right. So it's a lot of it's like a layer yeah. you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and it's almost you. As black men, we have to be strong all the time. You have to be strong in front of your kids, your wife, your spouse, your family. And it's just like, damn, like, when do I get a time to just be vulnerable and just cry and, and yeah. just and just let it out? You know, as you know, for me, I have to be you know strong in front of family and students and all the time. I'm like some days I don't feel like being strong. You know what I'm saying? Some days I, I want to cry. You don't want to do it. But you know that if you are not strong, then everything else just it's like it crumbles, you know? So people around you can see it yeah it it, it, it affects the things that happen around you and i and that's what i liked about when greg shared with his story about his son like he had to change that whole way of thinking he went from like i never cry to i'm gonna ask my kids how they're feeling i'm gonna let them cry it out and it's okay to do that you know and i think a good conversation after is a good yes Yes. to to explain why all of a sudden i haven't seen dad crying for yes lexi they do call hot dogs glizzy these days (laughs) (laughs) although i will say with your gender roles maybe it really is equal now because now you know what girls have had to experience for years when we decide to eat bananas and hot dogs in front of you just saying, maybe the gender roles are a little equal there. I mean, right now everybody seems to be pretty fluid in 2023, so I don't know. All right, I got another question. What did you have to say? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I had cried in front of my kids, my daughter one time, and she asked me like, "Daddy, what's wrong?" Like, and I was going through some emotionally. You feel me? And I had to explain to her like, "Daddy, going through something right now. Um, this is what you do when you when you." feeling sad or, or down or something like that. So I had to make sure that she understood mm-hmm. that I was okay, but I had to let those emotions out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so. That was good that you explained that to her. It's like a bottle under pressure. Yeah. You know yeah. Only, you know, eventually, you know, they still explode. Right. Yeah. Right. But so, I will say tapping on it to close out that question. The one thing I do see, um, especially uh, specifically in the black community as a whole, men and women, is that the shift, I would say, probably in the last five to ten years to actually publicly talking about mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. is, is uh, you know, in my 33 years of life, you know, you used to hear about therapy on the TV shows with <laughs> right. black folks. Yeah, and yeah. You didn't really hear about the, the black folks. You know, right. All the different shows. And it is definitely a shift to where it's okay if you want to. It's not a problem if you if you go to a therapy session. Like it's mm-hmm. it's normal, and that's one of the big things I have seen is that it's normal now. It's a regular thing for us to be able to do too uh, within our community. So I think that's a big big change, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just catching up a little too late. You know, what I'm saying we we it is. we all. I mean, I feel like black folks we always behind on things, mm-hmm. and you know this is just another thing. But at the same time, the positive is we're actually. Yeah, into it. Right. it don't yeah. matter that we was late, but we tapping into it. Perfect time. Yes. Yeah. Perfect time. When, when you talk about like TV, the biggest thing I've ever noticed was This Is Us. Mm-hmm. When yes. he sat in front of his therapist and he sat in front of another black male and he was like, 
oh, I got my kid. Is that okay? And I was like, this is a dope moment. Yes. Right? Because as a therapist, you're still human. You still have you still have human tendencies. Natures, you still everything. have nature. So it was like, okay, this is how therapy really, really can be. Right. Compared to like, oh, you lay on the couch and talk to a therapist like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff. One of my um. <laughs> 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 Is that ever a thing? Yeah. Does he ever lay on couches? I don't know. I, I don't know. I've seen it on TV. Yeah, I've never done all that. I've seen it on TV. I think you cover a blanket over. That's about it. Yeah. I'll tell you, my person, my therapist, her couch is too small. Because I thought, because I definitely thought about it. I'm six three. Yeah, I think one of the things that I love, like you said, is just more talks about um, mental health and therapy on TV shows. One of my favorite shows that I watch is called um, A Million Little Things. Um, so it's a show about um, a guy. He had the perfect life. He had a wife, family, you know, president of this job or whatever. And he decides that he, um, he actually jumped off the building, the balcony of his, of his workplace. And so his friends are now trying to put the pieces together, figure out, um, why, you know, why he did it. But one of the people on the show, um, he's, he's black. Um, he has a wife and they show how he struggles with mental health. Um, and so with that, he, um, was going to take a bottle of pills and his wife, no, his friend called, and that's what made him stop. And so they talk about this whole journey where he goes through, you know, mental health and therapy. Um, but him and his dad finally have the conversation because he finally opened up and said, you know what, dad, I go to therapy. And his dad, you know, for, you know, he's older and for a while was just like, why are you going to talk to them people and blah, blah, blah. But they finally break down and finally, you know, he accepts him for finally going to therapy. So if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and check it out. It's called Million Things. It's a dope show. So there you go. All right, so here's my next question. All right. Um, so many black men have, di- I'm going to start with, is it okay if I start with you, Blair? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's going to go around. So many black men have different insecurities from physical to mental. What is or was an insecurity that you have or are currently battling? And what are some things that you do or did to keep growing into the man you want to be? First off, I see my mom coming, so I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, hey, Mama Johnson. And, uh, one of my biggest ones, like a lot of people don't know about me, is my weight. Like, you know, um, you know, like these last, I got a couple things. Let me try not to drift too much. Like these last three years, you know, I left the post office. I started working for my own company, which, you know, is a lot more work than like I can tell everybody. I love it, but it's, it's stressful as hell. Mm-hmm. But in the last few years, I've gained even more weight than I have previously because I've always been self-conscious about my weight. And everybody like, you tall, we can't see it. When I look at that motherfucking scale, when I look at the the scale, that thing, you know what I'm saying, what it say. And everybody like, you know what I'm saying, well, we can't tell because I'm I'm taller. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, um, I'm at 288 now. I've never been that close to 300. I've never been that close to that weight ever. Most people don't know. You know what I'm saying? My home weight is between 230 and 250. I haven't been that. So that's one of the biggest things. And I looked in the mirror, you know, after getting out the shower, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get away from this crap. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and things, like, AKA Pop, let's clarify that, y'all. Thank you. We don't not, crack. Hey, we don't not literally crack. And we don't sponsor Fago. <laughs> Green, green. They want to fake it, sponsor us. We'll, we'll but, um, you know, but that, that's been one of my biggest things is, is, is that, you know, as, 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 a, as a youth, as a teen, you know, one of my things was my looks, my parents used to me. Um, now, you know,
and, and just being comfortable being who I am. You know what I mean? That's uh, what's up. You know, like that's probably my biggest things as far as being insecure, which is something you see every day when you look in that mirror and you're not comfortable. You know, I used to go weeks and weeks without looking in the mirror and making eye contact with myself. Um, and you know, if you think about it, you know, you're most people on average got a mirror in their bathroom. Mm-hmm. I would not look into my mirror. And that's even recently. And it's just um not being comfortable with what I saw in You didn't in have that self confidence. Yeah, I, I just wasn't I didn't like it. You know yeah. what I mean? But then I got them days where, you know what I'm saying, you know, you feel really good, you know, and that taps into that I don't know, it's like that that mental puzzle in your head when you looking at, at what you look at and you like Nah, nah this ain't I don't it. Like that. But then it's like, but that's me. Yeah. Right. But when you look in the mirror, like I don't, I don't like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And you know it's you. So that's that's you know that's that's one of those things that that probably was the worst because you can't look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. You know it's so that's 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 probably that's that, that's probably it. <laughs> it was the biggest insecurity. That's why I'm gonna say this. Um, as a therapist, I have imposter syndrome. Right, where I look at myself and don't believe I belong to certain ones. Um, and I think for me, it's crazy because he's like, You're so confident. It's like, uh, if you saw internally what my my head looks like, what I feel like, what I'm thinking, you would realize, like, I'm thinking I don't belong. I don't know. I sit in therapy sometimes, like, mm, I hope they think I know what's up. Well, I, I, I feel right, that, yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> and I hope they walk out this room and realize that I'm still learning just like they're learning. Yeah. Right? Um, mm-hmm. So for me, the biggest thing is imposter syndrome and realizing, like, especially as I've gotten older um, and go to school and get the degrees and it's like, oh, you're supposed to know. It's like, no, I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still researching. I'm still reading articles. Um, and sometimes in therapy, I feel like I made a mistake and asked the wrong question. Yeah. Right. Especially when they just shut down and they're looking yeah. at you. I'm like, oh, uh, shoot. <laughs> right. Um, so imposter syndrome for me is my biggest insecurity. So basically, you're your, you're your own worst critic all the time. Um, I've heard that twice now. Yeah. yeah. Like, I will I will take a look at myself and be like, I'm supposed to be perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, or I need, if I would have did this differently, I would have been here. Or yeah. If I would have yep. done this, I could have did this. Or why am I still stuck here? Or why am I mentally in this place? And as a therapist, I I go to therapy, mm-hmm. right? So I need to process that. But imposter syndrome is probably my biggest issue. And I think too, like you said, people look at you because when they're coming in there, they think you have all the answers. Right. And I explain very quickly, like I'm not here to give you the answers. I'm here to help you figure them out. Exactly. And I learn a lot. I think I learn just as much from when I'm helping people as when you know that they're learning from me because you do you learn. But I guess that's something that if you are going to therapy for everybody out there, go to therapy, but know that your therapist is there right along with you. Exactly. You know, we don't have a magic wand. I always tell kids, I always tell my kids it's on backwater Amazon. I haven't yeah. gotten that yet. I wish I did. <laughs> I got like, like, If car. I had a magic no, wand, right. I could just make everything better. Car right now. <laughs> right. I wish, but okay. Okay. So your biggest insecurity, how you handle it? <laughs> Um, my biggest insecurity, not so much now because I've grown to be very comfortable myself. Um, growing up as a kid, I always knew that I wasn't like, how can I put it? I wasn't into all of the boy stuff, like wanting to play football and sports and whatever. Um, I just kind of did my own thing. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I hang out with the boys, sometimes I hang out with the girls. Um, and so with that, as in growing up, you know, you get all the, the labels. Oh, he gay, he this, he that, he like blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, I wasn't thinking like that. In my mind, I was like, I'm just a kid. Like, I just want to play with everybody. Um, As I got older, you know, people 
love to have conversations about other people. Um, and they're just like, well, look at how he talks or look at how he acts and how he do this and whatnot. And so it made me start to question myself a lot. I'm just like, well, hmm, like, do I do certain things or am I saying certain things? So it probably took maybe three, four years ago where I finally was just like, you know what? This is who I am. It is what it is. Either you fuck with me or you don't. Um, and I was just, that was something when I was younger and even like early as an early adult, um, that caused a lot of anxiety because I was constantly worried like, well, where are they going to say about me? Are they going to feel a certain way about me? You know, where are they thinking about me? And maybe like I said, about four years ago, I finally was just like, fuck it. Like if you, if you like me, you like me, if you don't, you don't. Um, but yeah, that was kind of one of the things I know for a fact, it caused a lot of anxiety, like even going to the barbershops, like I would go to the barbershop, you know, the barbershop, they'd be having all kinds of conversations mm -hmm. and I was just be sitting there and I'm just be like, this conversation does not entertain me. You know what I'm saying? And so now I'm in my mind, like, damn, like, do I chime in? So they don't think a certain yeah, way. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I just want to get my haircut and be done. Yeah. So that little 15 minute haircut for like, is 45 <laughs> minutes of torture oh, to sit in the chair. So, but once I became comfortable myself, I was just like, it is what it is. So I go to the barbershop every two weeks to get my hair cut. Y'all can talk about what y'all want to talk about. Y'all talk about cars. Y'all talk about sports. Y'all talk about that. If I have knowledge of it, I'm going to chime in on it. Then if I don't, then I don't. But I mean, they would be like deep into the conversation. Like, hey, you see how many tackles? I'm just like, nah, bro. Like, I would probably was watching. I, I mean, I know what a tackle is, but I'm not that deep into statistics. You was probably watching the Super Bowl, and I was probably watching Real Housewives. Like, that's just, you know what I'm saying? So for me, I was just like... I'm just saying. So, so you talking to me about tackles? I'm over here. I want to ask you, like, hey, so did you see Nene throw that drink last night? <laughs> and they probably looking at me like, nah, dude, like, no. So that probably was one of the biggest insecurities for me. But it's something that I'm glad that I that I worked through, and I still have my moments sometimes. But for the most part, like, I'm very comfortable who I am. Like I said, if you fuck with me, you fuck with me. If you don't, you don't. We gotta take that off of them, boys. Though we gotta take all that off of boys. Though. We can't. Yeah. You have to like certain things to be strong. I, you know, I always, I always hate it when I have a kid and they're. I'm like, well, what do you like to do? You know, are you a sport? I just like to paint. You know, like we can paint. Let's paint. Yeah. 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 Anime. Yeah. I want to draw, or or yeah. I just want to hang out with the, you know, do some of the things on the girls. And I think we just need to take that off of our 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 young yeah. men out there. I remember. Um, even with my son, I remember with my son when he freshman year when he went uh he went to high school and he wanted to play soccer. He was like, Soccer? Like who plays soccer? Like you need to play football, you need to play basketball. And um my son was just like, No, nah, like I, I wanna play soccer. And it's because in the black community, when it comes to black men, you either gotta basketball or football mm -hmm. so when he stepped outside the box and didn't do any of that like so many people were just like oh he he's gonna be this he's gonna be that and i was like no nah, my son is just a dope ass soccer player yeah. so but he he kind of went through that like i said because he didn't play the typical sport that he, they say he should play because he's a black male so in fairness i didn't let my kid play soccer with us because i didn't want to sit in the rain <laughs> Until I let my kids play baseball and football, and I didn't know any better because that's exactly what I do. Um, what do you got? Insecurity, and how do you handle it or address it? Um, my insecurities are, I think I'm going back on what Blair said. I'm going back on my weight. I want to get a little bit more chunkier. <laughs> Look, you can have all of this, bro. I'm not gonna lie. Like I've been like one, like a scale of like one. I maybe top like one seventy. 
Not even. So that's my biggest insecurity right now is trying to gain more weight. I have you said eighth grade, boy. That was like third grade for me. Biggest. I'm with you on that. So I have a I have a high metabolism. So I eat a lot. I I eat very well, but I still don't gain any weight at all. So it's like I can't grow. Like I'm I'm six four tall for nothing. That's what they tell me. <laughs> I used to play basketball and everything, but it's it's not working for me. But right? I think, I think that's a, I mean I think it for guys that's harder almost to even be skinnier than you know it's more acceptable to be bigger and. If you are smaller, I mean, I think I've seen a lot of guys get will, picked on because I of that. I will say, sidebar, one thing I got from my therapist was learning about eating for your blood type. So tap into that because okay. that may help you certain things that mm-hmm. your blood type specifically need. Okay. To my, you know, not saying, I can't say, I, I'm not a doctor or that might help you tap into to to getting and you know add different proteins and all that stuff yeah because it's, it's a lot of different stuff right. so but you got to specifically eat for your body type right because right. you got to think you know it's 20 skinny guys your same type with what is it five six different blood types or whatever exactly whatever it is but everybody's different so that's a different thing too and then also that taps back into your brain too mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. everything it's all it's all included. I've, I've been learning stuff. But you know, yeah. but you know, hey, I, I, learn I, I, but I think it's important to also think about the fact that that we got we got to find that self love too. Mm-hmm. That you are, oh, yeah. you're finding the way you are. You're finding the way you are. You're tough. You're tough. We're all tough. Right. Right. Lexi said we will put Fago on the walls if they sponsor. They sponsored that one with the ice in the team club. Oh, no, they just like I don't know. We'll oh. we'll send this podcast to Fago and see what happens. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go to the next question. Um, as a black man in today's society, the black man is still labeled as a statistic. Dealing with those statistics today, you have even more labels to battle. How do you find your peace, and what do you want to see uplifted in the community? I find my peace by doing my music. I find my peace by talking to my fellow brothers, my fellow sisters, um, meditating, um, being around my kids. Um, that's my peace. I, I enjoy that. I, I love being around people. I'm a people person. Um, I just... That's my all-around go-to right there. So, um, one of the ways that I find peace is, um, which I was kind of happy that the pandemic happened because we got shut down. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things that I learned during the pandemic is um, two things: is one, how to meditate. Um, I meditate um, before I go to work, so I usually wake up about six, six thirty in the morning, um, and I just sit in peace. Uh, sometimes I play meditation music and I got my oil diffuser popping with my lavender and everything. Um, sometimes there's no music at all. Um, and now I understand why our grandparents used to wake up at five, five o'clock, five thirty in the morning, because that is the best piece on earth. Um, so for me, I meditate every morning, if not in the mornings, um, definitely before bed. And then also journal. Um, one of my bad habits that I have and I so glad I got back into journey. I try to keep everything in my head. I mean, everything from like 
dates and events and stuff that happened, you know, and one of the things that my therapist taught me, she was like, the problem is you, you try to keep everything in your brain and you need to do what's called a brain dump. And so at night I take my journal and I just get it all out. Um, I also have um, a book that I got from five and below. It's called 200 questions to ask yourself. Um, and they ask you funny questions all the way to, to deep questions. And so I try to um, answer about three or four questions a night and I just write it in my journal um, and then also I do podcasting. So here on Mud Talk, uh, I'm able to be my authentic self. I don't have to be Mr. Cleveland, the educator, Mr. Tyrone, you know, the impact director or coach tie with the step team or whatever the case may be. I get to be me. Um, and so with that, that helps me really, you know, be in a good place and, and, and get everything out. So definitely meditation and, and journey are my top two things I like to do. Mud Talk. Always. Oh, for me, I'm quiet. Right? Like when it's quiet, if it's 10 minutes, all right, if it's in my car and I just turn the radio off and I drive, um, I find peace in driving sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like just taking a late night drive, but that set me so long. Yeah. Just simply just driving. Mm-hmm. Um, I find peace in journaling as well. Like Todd said, like journaling for me is processing out my head and my thoughts right right, no right. Guidance. i don't need to i don't even need a template sometimes i just write out whatever's in my head um uh let's see what else and i'm fine piece of just doing things i love right if it's whatever it's just if it's like i go stand outside on the porch and just hear the birds chirp hear the wind fresh air just mm-hmm. get that fresh air um that as well I, I, like you said i know why the old people sell on the porch right mm-hmm. and it, was, it was just peace it was a yeah. sense of peace I really don't know. Um, <laughs> to be honest, like I really don't know because I'm never fully at peace. Um, you know, like Ty was tapping into COVID. Like a lot of people don't know, I was happy as hell when COVID hit because it allowed me to take a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, as both of them know, you know, the different events I was hosting, Cecil, you know, was the DJ for the networking events. I was doing a lot of the different okay. stuff so I was doing in the community. Like I literally just closed my door when COVID hit and it's been three years and a lot of people have been asking me, you know, what's going on. I haven't, you know, the different things I was doing in the community, I've been sending money to people and stuff like that. Like, you know, here you go, here goes something, but I haven't been going to events and stuff's been opened back up. I have, I went to church once since, um, you know, like I, I, you know, once they did the restriction and had, I was just like, Bad, I can just stay at the crib. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got to worry about nothing. I still been in church. I went to church, you know, all these different things. So it was just, you know, that kind of gave me peace. But then it kind of, you know, with things, well, it's 2023. So essentially we open back up to whatever it will be probably going forward. It's, this is the right. normal. So, um, you know, I, I kind of haven't been ready to come back. You know, like I go out to make my money to put food in the in the refrigerator, but that's really it. But like, um, you know, I still to this day, I have a lot of people that depend on me. I have a lot of people that ask me questions. I, I have a lot of people who think I, I know everything, which it makes me feel, you know, happy and stuff, which is why sometimes like when I introduce myself, I try to water myself down because I want to just feel regular. You know what I mean? I want to mm-hmm. just feel like, because like, and then at the same time, I get mad at myself because I know so much stuff. Like, um, one of the things I do is, like, I can't even watch TV. Normally. This is what I do when I watch TV. I'm going to let y'all have one glaring secret. 
So they'll they might spit a real fact on the show, right? So I get on the internet and start researching, right? And I might need the Wikipedia. So then I read, you know, research, you know, Wikipedia ain't hundred percent looks pretty it's a lot better than it was twelve years ago when we was in high school. Right. But you know, um, and I, I got so much knowledge in my head, like at any given point in time, if somebody says something, I'll be able to hit you with facts and they'd be like, Why the fuck do you know that? <laughs> like that that's like I can't even watch TV. I can't watch TV. You know, Mr. Snapple So and that's kind of like how my brain works. Like my brain never shuts down unless I sleep. So it's like when I say I haven't had peace, I, it's not that I'm not happy or anything. It's just like I always got something because at any given day I got somebody calling me, asking me for help, asking mm-hmm. me for advice. Mm-hmm. And nine out of ten, the only way I can get away from that is if I leave my phone. Or I turn them off or whatever. But then when I pick them back up, I got 30, you know, text messages, six missed calls with voicemails. You know, the missed calls is one thing, but then with the voicemails, you're like, So you you can't even have peace because you know as soon as I'm done with my peace, it's all coming back. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know. So it's like, it's not that I don't have happiness, but the last time (laughs) I had peace, I was was on the beach in Aruba. I see it right in his face, right there. You can see it. <laughs> Y'all remember that picture? I was, and then Look, in Mexico, before everybody was like, why you got a book? I said, I was so happy to have a clear mind to be able to read a book on the beach, drinking a, uh, I don't know what it was, but it was good. It, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 yeah, on the beach, I was a different person. So yeah. Was, I cried when I came back. We flew back into Chicago. My, my, you ever come back internationally? Not fly back into Chicago. That will not be peaceful. Yes, not peaceful. Chicago is just don't fly back in. Like go to Florida or no, California no, or no, Texas. No, 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 no. I don't care. Don't fly back in Chicago. Go to fly into Toledo, but but I don't. I don't know. No. Like, I don't know. I, you know, one of the things is. Um, my nephews make me happy. I got mm-hmm. one actual blood nephew by my sister. Um, you know, that's a whole complicated situation that I'll tap into another time. Then I got my bonus nephew. His birthday was just the other day. Like they 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 run me raggy when I'm with them. But I would say, you know what, I do have peace. When I'm with them, yeah. I have my peace because like I do whatever. I ain't never bought like like Xavier, I ain't never bought so many damn toys in my life. Like, <laughs> We can't go to Walmart because Uncle Blair. Everything at Walmart. I said, "What you want?" You know, but like I, I said, yeah, my nephew brings me peace. Yeah. So, I, so it sounds like you need more nephew and vacation time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably, probably just going on vacation together. That'd, that'd, that'd be great. That'd be dope. Yeah, one of uh, the things my counselor uh, taught me uh, when I first started going. Uh, to bring peace was set boundaries. Yeah. I had to learn how to say no. I was very much like Blair. Um, We're going to hear more about that in your testimony. Yes, so you are. I'm going to save that. that. Yeah, well, we still got a couple more questions. Though. We're going to watch that and then we'll go. Some, some I, did, I did get a VA. I do got a VA, so you know, if you, if you call my business now, <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it ain't me answering that did help a lot. That's, yes, that's boundaries. Yeah, we yeah. talk about boundaries. Yeah, I talk about boundaries so in my testimony. Because there are some questions that they're asked that we kind of already answered. Oh, yeah. Feel, you know, okay. So let's, let's that's fine. Watch the testimony. All right. So we're going to go ahead and watch my testimony. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about my mental health journey, how that got started. So you guys get to see me be vulnerable a little bit. Um, I didn't cry. I wanted to, but I ain't cry. You know what I'm saying? Well, so, what? Well, I'll probably cry in the next video that we do. So, <laughs> all right. So here goes my mental health testimony and we'll be right back here on my talk 
My name is Ty Cleveland, also known as Big T here on Mud Talk. Um, I am 34 years old. Um, I'm an educator and I am a proud black man in therapy. So growing up in my family, we never talked about mental health. <laughs> um, it wasn't something that we really discussed um, just because um, growing up, it really didn't seem like a thing that was kind of forefront. Um, as far as emotions, um, I would say as far as like crying, it really just depends on the situation. But for the most part, it wasn't expected for you to cry, especially if you are a young black boy growing up in inner city. Um, and so crying was kind of like a weakness. And so, you know, you kind of got teased for it or whatever the case may be. And so a lot of it was kind of just bottled up. Um, and yeah, as far as therapy growing up, like I said, that really wasn't something that was discussed um, in our family just because it wasn't a topic of discussion. Um, I felt like growing up around that time in the 90s. So, um, it really wasn't until um, I became a young adult and really started to um, let the emotions kind of flow. Um, you know, um, as a young adult, I really had no problem with crying, but I had a big problem with going and talking to somebody about it. And so a lot of times I kind of just handled it on my own, which was not always healthy. Um, and so um, with that, you know, um, I really didn't know how to process a lot of different things, whether it was anxiety or depression or whatever case may be. So um, yeah, it definitely had a great deal on how I handle situations and emotion growing up. So when I was 26, maybe, um, in 2017, um, I remember one morning I was waking up and getting ready for work. And I remember that I could not feel the left side of my body. At that time, I was um, working in the school system. Um, but within that school system, I was doing two jobs at the same time. Um, I was coaching different, you know, dance teams and step teams. I was working at Fame Studios. Um, I was running my own organization, the Impact Program in Toledo. I was doing a whole lot. And so um, I felt, you know, stressed and overwhelmed and had a lot going on. And um, I woke up one morning and couldn't feel the left side of my body. And I had this pounding headache. And so I thought, you know, maybe it was from kicking it, you know, over the weekend or whatever, but it was not. Um, and I woke up and I um, text my boss and I was like, something's not right. I'm going to the hospital. Um, I went to the hospital and um, they told me it was a good thing I came in because my blood pressure was like dangerously high and I was in the process of possibly having a stroke. So, um, I remember being in the hospital bed and they were asking me like, you know, what are you stressed out about? What's going on? And they were asking me this because I was so young. 
Um, and they told me, you know, being that I was so young, they wasn't really concerned about what I was eating, what I was drinking, because I was, you know, 26, 27 years old. And I remember just crying in the hospital bed and just really just letting it all out, you know, and telling them, you know, you know, all the things I was dealing with and being pulled in different ways and everything. And um, that was kind of like, that was kind of the moment I knew that it needed to be some change. A couple years later, um, I had a, a birthday dinner with some friends and um, we kind of got into an argument and I remember kind of just really like going off and we were in public. Like I remember legit um, just kind of wilding out um, and I woke up the next morning and I just felt so horrible and um, I said, it's time to get some help. It's, it's something that's going on. It's a lot brewing. It's a lot of just built-up frustration that's going on. It's, it's time to, to get some help. And so I contacted, um, who's my therapist, uh, Jasper Pope. She's a real good friend of mine. And I was like, hey, um, you know, uh, do you have any openings? You know, and is it okay, like, being that we're friends? you know, that I can come in and whatnot. And she reassured me that it was. Um, and one of the first things that she taught me in therapy, now mind you, the first session I was nervous as hell to even to even <laughs> go into her office. But um, the first session she taught me was about setting boundaries and that it's okay to tell people no. And it's okay to, you know, not have to participate in everything. And, um, and it's okay to take things off my plate and that if people, you know, if they're going to be upset about it, then it is what it is. It's their problem. And so um, that was kind of like the first step that I realized, you know, that was the inner child of, of me wanting to please everybody. Because growing up, you know, as you know, as a kid, you do want to please your parents. You do want to please your grandparents and everybody by getting good grades and participating in this and doing this and doing that. And I had to realize, like, you know, you're not a kid no more. You are a full grown adult. And so um, she taught me how to set boundaries and she taught me to say the power of no. Um, she taught me a whole lot and that helped me tremendously with managing my stress and managing my anxiety. Um, and so for that, I'm forever thankful for that lesson. So when I noticed um, a change in me when going to, uh, when starting going to therapy, um, I realized that I felt a whole lot better. And, you know, the people around me started to notice the change. They started to notice um, just my thought process was, was different. I was much more calm. You know, I started encouraging other people to go to therapy. And so um, that's when I knew that I had made the right decision. Um, I realized that in myself, because my blood pressure was down for one. And for two, I just felt overall better. I wasn't so... Um, angry and frustrated and getting irritated so quickly just because I had so much built up. And so with that, um, I made sure to go to therapy at least once or twice a month on a regular. Um, I journal, I do meditation. Um, you know, I recognize signs in myself when I have things going on. Uh, so if I know I'm not in a good mood, I'll tend to kind of put myself away or say, hey, you know, like today is kind of a good day or whatever. I'm going to kind of chill at home. Um, really using those coping skills 
that I learned from therapy. And so um, once I noticed that the shift started happening, um, that's when I knew that, you know, therapy was really, really working for me. So um, thinking about mental health has made a huge impact on my life. Um, and it's why I encourage other people to go to therapy, you know, black men, black women, definitely get into therapy. Um, this shift has, has been very helpful. Um, it's helped me have a better relationship with my parents. Um, it's helped me have a better relationship with, you know, my siblings and whatnot. Um, really addressing those deep-rooted issues has helped me um, have better relationships with people in general around me. And so um, I'm very, very thankful for that shift. Um, and I'm super proud that, you know, I went and got some help and went to therapy and make it on, you know, a regular basis that I go to therapy. So I am definitely happy about, about the shift that happened um, in regards to my mental health and my life. So my advice to black men um, on the importance of mental health and counseling is that it's okay to not be okay. Um, I know in our culture and our society, it is not um, something that's talked about, but it's something that needs to be talked about. Um, we are losing way too many black men to mental health, um, to suicide, depression, and you know, you know, other mental health um, illnesses and issues that are going on. And so, it is time for us to finally stop the stigma, and it's time for us to go and get the help that we need, and know that it is okay to not be okay. You're not gonna have a good day every single day. And um, I encourage each and every black man who is watching this today to go and get therapy. Um, you know, go and get the help that you need. And I promise that you will start to see the change in yourself and the change around you. Um, like I said, therapy helped me have a better relationship with my parents, uh, with my siblings, even with some of my friends. Some of the friends that I lost before I went and got help, I was able to regain. We were able to have those positive conversations um, and they were able to see where I was coming from and they saw the change in me. And so uh, I really encourage each and every black man who's watching the show today to go and get some help, go and get therapy and know that it is okay to not be okay. Oh man, that was a deep testimony right there. Um, man, um, going back to how you said on that depression and everything, like I said, I deal with that on a daily basis. Um, it's hard to cope with. Um, sometimes you need that help. Reach out to get that help. There's nothing wrong with getting that help. Don't be shameful or or Feeling like you don't need to reach out to somebody because another helping hand can always lead you to a better life. Mm -hmm. So take that chance, take that risk. You know, there's nothing wrong with with talking to somebody at all. Uh, you know, tapping into that two things. 
you know, in a common scenario, if your car is driving and start making a funky noise, is you gonna keep rolling it or is you gonna, you know, at least try to do I just turn my radio up. I don't have time oh, for that negativity. <laughs> Or, you know, walking, if you're walking in public and you see somebody that falls down and gets injured, let's go there. Because if you mm. keep walking and turn your radio up on that one, if you see something nine times ten, you may not be able to. You might not even know CPR. You might not know how to work the AED, but you're probably going to call somebody mm-hmm. and say, you know, you, you you know, most people might make a call at minimum if you see a, a situation right. that's right. wrong, and then also tapping back into. Um, physical health issues from mental stemming from mental health issues like i've had times the first time it was crazy i thought i was having a heart attack right you know so we went to the, to the hospital and everything because i'm having chest pain chest so bad mm-hmm. that it's like right here and then they like you healthy as an ox player and i'm like they was like you know you know they didn't need a cat scan put me in the box you know all the different stuff yeah. and then ran everything had the ekg all this stuff it's like you know your blood pressure is a little elevated because you you know it says you seem a little stressed, but other than that, everything is good. You know you don't have anything, and those things continuously can do physical damage on the body. Mm-hmm. You know, so it may not be nothing. You know, mentally it may just be something up there in the first time, but you know, your body can only take so much trauma. Right. So you know it's like they all go hand in hand, mind, body, and spirit, as they say. You know, so it's just not focusing on that, you know, is the same as in those situations where, you know, if we're not monitoring things that um, need to be monitored, just like, you know, uh, I think Cesar said it about maintenance. You know, one of the things I always say to my clients is, you know, hey, you need to do this this way because I'm in maintenance. I said, look, I don't want to come back when things are broken. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. I, I want to I'll come and do the maintenance. Let me help you with the maintenance. Mm-hmm. Because the maintenance is, is I charge you less when I'm doing maintenance. Right. And it's the same way, if you really think about it, with your mind. Yeah. It costs less to maintain it. Mm-hmm. You know what? My uh, my oil light is on. That means I need to change this oil. I need to refresh yeah. this. No because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, you turn, if you turn the radio on, yeah. it's going to run I don't have time for that negativity in my life. Turn that radio up. <laughs> so it's like we got to maintain yeah. just like how we like I tell people to maintain their properties, you gotta maintain your body, your mind. Like I said, I, I, I blacked a little bit on my, you know, on my physical, but you know, it's it's all taps into each other, and yeah. it's just like it, it's it's all connected. Because you know, you ever had a really good day, and I didn't got my back, my knees, my shoulders, all that. <laughs> but when the sun's shining, I'm having a great day, and I don't really have any stress. I don't feel none of that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like. It's still there, but it's it's, it's in the background. So and that's just one of the things. Like we mentally, we got to work on keeping that strong because it helps you power through that. Because I always got pain in my back, but I got chronic pain, so I always got it. Yeah. But it's not at my forefront when I'm feeling better. Right. When I'm mentally, right. when I'm you strong, when I'm having it. a good day, when everything's good, yeah. I can push through it because yeah, it's still there. But just like <clears> our problems, our problems never go away. It's, but it's just being able to have a clear enough mind and doing that proper maintenance because a lot of this stuff, like I said, what I've learned in therapy too is it's not it's it's learning how to cope with your issues and problems mm-hmm. because issues and problems are not going to go away. They're mm-hmm. here for life. You right. know what I'm saying? Just like the IRS trying to get that money. They're both here for life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But we got to learn how to deal with them. We got to learn how to, to process the things as they come because they don't keep coming. 
So, and I think it's important to think too that like everything starts here. Mm -hmm. I think we're so backward because we we want to do physical care, but like really honestly, your body's controlled here first. Mm -hmm. Mental mental health is where it starts. If you don't, if you're not in that mindset to right. do it, because like they say, if you want to do something, it don't matter mm -hmm. how somebody you keys like here. This will open up this door, this door, and get you here, here, and here. But if you don't want to do it, it doesn't matter that somebody gave you a blueprint to do it. If you right. don't want to do it, literally. Right. right. Or, or if your brain just isn't like you're not focusing on not. The, the way and the path to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah. And honestly, it's not just about whether you want to do it. Your brain controls a lot of your physical health. Yeah. If your brain's not where it needs to be, then your body is going to show that. Yeah. So, yep. Were you having a panic attack at the hospital? Was that what it was? Uh, at that time, it was just high stress, but I used to. Anxiety I used to have. Attack. I used to. I used to have a lot. I used to have anxiety and panic attacks. Um, those were those were separate. That was a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. My thing was um, my trigger for it, which was things I can't control. But you know how many things we can't control, right? And my initial, right. which yes. my initial trigger was yeah. because of death. I like I had a lot it. of family members dying, and my family members said I was upset and I couldn't fix that. I'm a fixer. Mm -hmm. you know, I fix a lot of things. That's my business, but as a fixer, who can fix death? Right. Nobody. Right. No right. matter who you believe in, mm -hmm. nothing comes back from you know that. So that you know that was that was my my main trigger. So I'm, we're actually going to get back to the anxiety. That is one of the questions I was actually going to specifically ask you about. <laughs> just because, but before that, what were the reactions? Any other reactions from? The um, I just had a question. Um, so, what is the main like? What can you do to fix your stress? Okay, we're going to get into that in just a minute. I need to we're know. Get, we're getting that to, is yeah. the question, but I just want to let, like, right. let, right. him, let him reactivize it. Uh, oh, okay. I'm an extreme advocate of the I'm not okay. It's okay to not be okay. Um, but you also have to tell people you're not okay, right? Mm -hmm. You are mind readers. So we have to say, like, if I'm not okay today, I'm just not okay. I'm not having a good day, but tomorrow's going to be a better day, right? So I'm going right. to have a day on Monday. But tomorrow I gotta reset and refresh. So I'm right. really advocating mm -hmm. when you said that in the video. I think that was my my biggest piece of yeah. takeaway. And you yeah. get to restart. Yes. And that's a choice. That's a choice that you get to have every day if you're gonna restore or if you're gonna carry whatever happened through and you, you can say today's new I'm gonna reset. Or if you're a sports person, reset up use your daily quarters. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Reset. Yeah. Reset. Yep. So I had a friend tell me that he you know, I was having like probably one of the most shittiest days and he was like, But you can restart your day mm -hmm. at any time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, at any time in the day, and that has that that was a my dude, my dude tone, and uh, that changed like because I never really heard nobody say anything like that, and it, it, it just tripped me out because, like, damn, that's true, mm -hmm. you know. And a lot of things it, it and it ties back into what I said about communication. Somebody had to say, Yeah, something. you need yeah, that's that, why you say, need that reaction. That's why we got one of the things that I do see about black men is we don't always communicate. But just saying little things, you know, mm -hmm. what I'm saying like even with the, when old school would be like, man, I see, I see, I see, I see. Yeah, I see. that's a form of communication. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you know, just imagine being in your mid twenties and having something that like okay. I don't think people ever would think about your mid twenties that you would have to deal with some of the health stuff that you're going through, and to see that it, like you said, it was related mm -hmm. back to the stress that you were feeling. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm sure at that time you're like, what in the world's going on? Yeah, so I finally got to the root of that problem. And I kind of talked about it in the video. Um, I had to make sure my mic didn't go. Um, <laughs> so um, growing up, um, I kind of was a people pleaser. 
Uh, and that came from when I was about two, maybe three years old. My grandfather uh, taught me all the states and capitals of, of the 50 states. And I was able to do it like like clockwork. Um, but it got, <laughs> not all 50. I'll probably about, give you 40 of them. Um, but. Well, Columbus is Ohio. <laughs> there we go. Let's start there. Um, but I remember when he would have people come over to the house, he'd be like, guess what, y'all? My my grandson, all 50 states, come on, Tyrone, name them off. So it started with that. And then it came into, you know, you got to always have honor roll and perfect attendance and all these different accomplishments growing up. And so for me, when I finally got older, it still was kind of the same process. So kind of like how Blair was saying, like, if, pe- if I don't respond back to people's messages, they're going to be upset. So when it came to that, I'm like, OK, somebody from the step team just responded. I mean, just text me. Now I got to respond back. Somebody from school like it was. So- I just wanted to keep people happy. And when I finally realized that that was not working, and I ended up in the hospital. I said, fuck that shit. Like, I'm not I'm not doing that no more. And so now I will I will leave. Anytime something has to do with a drop of stress, I will leave. I just left my job two weeks ago because I was like, this is stressful. And it wasn't even the the kids. It was just was the environment. So anytime for me, um, if it feels stressful because of what I went through with my health, I, I leave it alone. Whether it's people, whether it's jobs, whether it's friends, family, I don't give a damn who it is. If it's stressful, it absolutely has to go because I refuse to go back to, to 2017 and be laid up in somebody's hospital bed. So for me, that was the moment that. I knew I had to set boundaries and boundaries is hard as shit. Um, It's hard to tell somebody no, but once you practice it and you practice it over and over and over again, it'll be like, no, I'm not doing that. Like my friends would tell you real quick. They'd be like, Hey, you want to go get a drink today? I'm like, nah, I'm really ain't feeling like it. You know what I'm saying? But old time would have been like, damn, I really don't want to do it, but I don't want them to be mad at me. So yeah, let me go ahead. Absolutely. So, you know, I had to learn how to, you know, set boundaries. So, you know, with, things like the impact program or anything I'm involved with, there's just certain times where I won't respond back. If I don't, if I'm not having a good day, I'm not going to respond back because I know that energy is going to transfer through that message because I know when I'm in a good space, I will respond back very professionally. When I'm not in a good space, you're, I'm going to respond back as Ty. Like it is 10 PM at night. Why are you, why are you texting me about programming? You know what I'm saying? But now, because I have those boundaries, I'll, I'll be like, you know what, Ty, you're not about to respond in the right way. Let's wait until the next morning to do it. Then I'll say, good morning, you know, and blah, 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 and whatever, what else, whatever else I need to respond with. So setting those boundaries, it definitely helped a lot. Um, I, can, I like that you said yes. about boundaries. I think sometimes we think boundaries is just telling people no. Oh, no. But what you did say is part of my boundaries is knowing that if I respond now, mm-hmm. that's not going to be good because that's going to cause a lot more stress uh, yes. if I damage this relationship because I, I don't yes. say it in the right way. Absolutely. So part of that boundaries is knowing yourself well enough to know when you can respond. Yeah. And I do that even with situations. If I know I'm not in a good mood, I won't go to um, you know certain environments. So let's say if a friend is inviting me to a party and I know that I'm not in a good space, I'm not going to go to that party because I know I'm not in a good space because it's unfair to them to have bad energy in the room when they've done nothing to me. But that's a boundary that that I set for myself. You know what I'm saying? So setting boundaries is very important, but it's it's, it's hard as shit, though. It's, it's, it's very hard. I was just, just real quick, I was just saying, just go on and we'll go with yours. The one thing that I, I got Greg for Christmas was a shirt that says protect your peace. Mm-hmm. And that has been the motto that we've all that we both decided that this is what this year is going to be. Yes. And it's so right. powerful. Protect your peace. Right. Whatever that looks like for you. And that is boundaries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people don't understand. Like if you don't, people don't understand sometimes if you don't respond back or like um, reply to their 
acknowledgement, they're going to feel some type of way, mm-hmm. no matter what. Whether if you respond in the morning, they're still going to feel some type of way, I feel like. Yes. So, like, I guess you got to give them that that little energy or whatever right then and there, or they're just going to have to deal with your so-called rudeness, I feel like. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say it's rudeness, but it's, but it's making them respect your boundary, you know? Yeah. If someone yeah. is really your friend, they care about you, they're going yeah. to respect your boundary. But you don't have to be rude about it, but you, but you yeah, do say, hey, you know, after this certain time, I'm not going to respond, you know, to messages. I respond back in the morning. Right. So, but I'm not going to be an asshole about it. Be like, look, if you text me one more time after ten, we're not, we're not doing that because then, like Amy said, that just creates a bigger, a bigger problem, and that actually yeah. could mess up that relationship that you may have with them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've seen situations where people have have responded back in that moment, and now you're on Facebook known as you know as rude or yeah. or you're not giving good customer service or whatnot. So, just I would just say. Be respectful on how you set your boundary, but also the person they need to respect your boundaries as well too. Just like you need to respect theirs. Absolutely. Yes, two way street. So can we ask? Can I ask you, Cecil? Because you, so the question that I had goes back to what you're saying about anxiety, and I know that when it comes to anxiety, a lot of it is just that there's a lot of things that are out of our control, and I, I, and this is. This is my research base. This is not me being a white girl assuming I'm black men. <laughs> there's a lot of things out of control for black men in the society and their families and their lives. And um, this actually comes from one of my friends said that they are feeling like a lot of what they're addressing is anxiety. So their question is, what are some ways that you help people that you help people address anxiety? And what happens when the anxiety isn't addressed? And let's talk maybe more about not the physical stuff. We, we talked about that, the other things that go along with that. So typically there's good anxiety and there's like generalized anxiety and there's social anxiety, right? So there's, everybody has a sense of anxiety. Everybody has a sense of like, I can worry about things I can't control, right? But when it becomes something where you're like, I'm dealing with anxiety is where I'm worried about it so much that it's affecting me socially, it's impacting me at my job, it's impacting me when I'm sleeping, I'm eating, I'm driving, right? And it's impacting me. So I'm like, so I'm driving and I'm in a car accident. So now every time I see a car, I tense up. My body mm-hmm. just tenses up or I get a headache. Or before I walk in my job, I just have this sense of heaviness on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when we know your anxiety is becoming something where it's affecting you. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times men don't realize they have anxiety, mm-hmm. right? So it's mm-hmm. that irritability. It's that um, muscle tension, that neck tension, that I tense up when I just don't realize, like, loosen your shoulders up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my shoulders ain't tense. Um, it's <laughs> the, uh, I don't sleep at night because I'm overthinking, right? Men overthink a lot about oh, everything, life, children, finances, um, I'm trying to go through. I'm trying to go through the seven criteria, unfortunately, in my head, right? It is um, being restless. So you just can't get comfortable. You at home, like, I'm here, and I'm over here, and I'm moving over there, and I'm pacing. Um, and so that is that. Anxiety. We're trying to control a whole lot We're of everything around you. Right? Mm-hmm. I, and when I mm-hmm. can't control it, now I'm irritated. Now I'm frustrated. <laughs> now I'm mad. Now I don't understand why. Um, or I have a sense where it almost feels like a heart attack, right? Where my body just, like, my, my body starts to shut down, my right side starts to shut down, um, or random stomach aches, random headaches, mm-hmm. migraines, mm-hmm. right? Where those are different types of ways that anxiety comes out that we don't realize it. Um, but dealing with it a lot of times, there's like, you have to realize what the triggers are, mm-hmm. right? You have to identify for yourself, how am I being triggered in this moment? What's triggering me? What's upsetting me? What's overwhelming me? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I would say for anxiety, um, I, I'm a person that lives with anxiety, right? And I know how it feels when I have anxiety, and I know what my triggers are, and I know how to tell people, like, hey, I'm having a bad day, and it's overwhelming me right now. Yeah. Um, so I think anxiety is one of those things that we, and plus I think also black men, um, the racial stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. like the George Floyd, mm-hmm. um, the tie, the tie situation mm-hmm. that just happened. Yeah. Um, I can name a whole slew of them, right? Mm-hmm. But um, in knowing that that's anxiety, like when the cops pull up behind you, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And you know you have not done nothing, nothing else. right? And as soon as they pull up behind you, they're not even flicking the lights on. You're like, what? I, what's in my car? What am I doing? Uh, what am I doing? Should yeah. I turn the radio down? Should I roll my windows down? What should I move? Or on? even change lanes? Because that's change what I. Lanes, that's what right? I do. Should I pull over <laughs> into this parking lot? That's a sense of anxiety mm-hmm. that we can't control because just society has made us feel tense, right? Cops have never made us feel comfortable, mm-hmm. right? And it's not even in the sense that we're doing anything wrong. You right, could be like straight. White. You could be straight laced. Doing nothing for the most of your life and still get nervous every time I cop pulls up on So I know myself, I don't watch those videos. Yeah. I protect my brain because yeah. I put myself into those situations. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm always like, that could be me. Yeah. All right. At any moment, I could be a name yeah. um, or a hashtag or a shirt or a hoodie or whatever it is. So I protect myself in those ways that I know. Is exactly that's I that's for me because I help and I deal with I listen to trauma all day long. Mm-hmm. I had to stop watching the news yeah, yeah. and I had to like take all the most of the news apps except for the other ones, so you know, yeah, but <laughs> television. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that, um, like Cecil said, is I have to stop watching those videos. Um, during COVID, when the George Floyd thing happened, I, I was, I was done. Um, and that's what they call trauma porn. Mm -hmm. You know, trauma porn is constantly watching those videos that are, that are traumatizing. Yeah. Um, and for me, um, when I started um, doing activism uh, with the CSRN that was here um, was when the um, Trayvon Martin situation happened. And so being a, being an activist, I was constantly, you know, those things were constantly embedded in my head and they were constantly in my face. Cause then it was Trayvon Martin and it was Tamir Rice and it was Sandra Bland and it just kept going, kept going and kept going. And the George Floyd situation, I was just like, you know what, for me to be an activist, I don't, I don't have, have to subject, subject myself, myself to, to watch these videos. videos.